Strong Talk with Ricky Baez and JC. Enjoy the show! And ladies and gentlemen, we're back for yet another fantastic episode of HR Talk. The country keeps moving on, and we keep bringing you anything to get your mind off that other crap that's going on out there. And today, this week, it's going to be an amazing episode that takes you down a path and a journey that will reveal a lot about yourselves. We're going to be talking about that coming up momentarily. A lot of self-reflection today. Hey, I'm JC calling in here on the program all the way from the northern end of the United States. Head down to the end of the street. See Canada right there. Over on the other side from sunny central Florida, the man, the myth, the legend, Ricky Bias. Hello, hello, country. Hello, Buffalo. I know the whole city's celebrating right now. Oh, man. For that was... fantastic win yesterday. Yeah, there was so much going on yesterday. I'll tell you what. I never had so much pizza in one day in my entire life. And talk Bullshit. about a nail biter at the same time going up against those Indianapolis Colts. Absolutely nuts. Now, look, the governor said, okay, Abano Domino, Nabisco shredded weed. We will allow people to be in the stands. And everyone's like, yay, we love this guy. And the guy's a prick, right? So people start showing up over at the stadium, and they were getting their noses poked earlier in the week. And you had to choose if you were going to be going to this Buffalo Bills wildcard game or if you are going to wait and go maybe next week, right, if they win. It's a roll of the dice. So you had all these people sign up, chime in, season ticket holders, 50 years, test positive for COVID. They wouldn't let them in the doors. They wouldn't let them in the doors. It was funny. You know, so what What are you going to do? Other than that, every, everything else is going good around here, Baez. How's by you, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know what? It's uh, The holidays are over. I mean, not for Puerto Ricans, right? Because we still celebrate until this past weekend uh, for Three Kings. That's what we did, man. You look shocked. Why you look so shocked? What, what is that? Three Kings Day. So in Puerto Rico land, or Puerto Rico, for those of you who don't know, um, we start Christmas as soon as Thanksgiving is done. And we continue one massive party until around the 8th or 9th of January. And it's just one big party and then followed by maybe a month of a hangover. It's pretty That's awesome. Exactly. Do you have like dreidels and stuff like that too? Uh, Are there no, multiple candles? Not, lots of coquito. Lots of coquito. So it's not like a Jewish type thing? No, it's not like a Jewish Got type it. thing. Yeah, it's. <laughs> you sound so upset about it. <laughs> like, what if it was some kind of a Jewish type thing? Oh, there'd be nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's fine. You do what you do. So you you had a good time celebrating for a month and a half. Um, yes, and now we're back to normal, taking all the stuff down and uh, getting ready to attack uh, the year week by week and see what this year brings us. Yeah, well, you, you want to talk about attacking the year, and you want to talk about attacking your mind and kind of like shifting yourself to a different perspective. We've had a lot of people on this program over the year, and, and anyone who's an avid listener, I mean, we're nearing 300 episodes right now. You tune into this program, you might get, you might get the CEO. You might get that HR leader that's been around. You've, we've had business owners, painters, construction workers. We've had people tell their life stories. But today, ladies and gentlemen, we have on the program one of the most famous people on all of social media, a world-renowned king in his own domain without further ado ricky you know i have to do this right go right ahead brother (laughs) 
please welcome the greatest farmer in the history of farming that doesn't do TikTok dances. He's growing corn 2020 on TikTok. The man, the myth, the legend, corn growing goat farmer, Tony Reed. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Reed on the HR Talk podcast, live from TikTok. You gotta love it. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's the least we do for America, Tony. Trust me. Trust me. It's the least that we do. Hey, um, you are. Oh, thank you, audience, for finally showing up. There they are. Holy smokes. You you are. Before we begin, for anyone that's not familiar with you, they could find you on on the Tiki Taki on the app right there. Growing Corn 2020. And, and, and you have almost, almost 200,000 people that follow you religiously. It's absolutely yep. unbelievable the life advice that you give people, how you how you bring them to a new sense of calm, a center of direction in their universe and peace. You're building bridges between not only social and emotional issues, but also uh, bringing light to uh, things that are of deep concern for the average man and woman out there, in my opinion. And I can't thank yep. you enough to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you guys very much. So why don't you tell us about, uh, just tell us a little bit about you and uh, who Tony Reed is. Uh, yeah, just just uh, let everybody know everything they need to know about the legend, Mr. Tony Reed. Okay, so I'm Tony Reed. I'm a 40-year-old farmer from central Illinois. And you probably get this being up in New York. You know, I'm not anywhere near Chicago, just like they probably think you're from New York City. So I'm like three hours south of Chicago. I'm closer to St. Louis than I am Chicago. So uh, growing up, my family did not farm. My dad owned his own construction business, built new homes. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. But uh, somehow at a young age, I got bit by the farming bug and was just obsessed with tractors, combines, animals, the whole ball of wax. And luckily, my grandpa farmed. So I spent as much time with him as I could, but they lived 30 minutes from me. So it wasn't like I got off the school bus and just rode my bike down to grandpa and grandma's house. You know, that yeah. was impossible. But luckily, I had a few close neighbors that... Uh, was always letting me come, you know, help them out, hang around with them, showing me the ropes and whatnot. And that all started, you know, probably age seven or eight, I would say, roughly wow. thereabouts. And um, so by the time I was so oh, eight, nine years old, I was running tractors full time for my grandpa. Or, I mean, you know, during the busy season, you know, nine like years a- old. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so which that was just a way of life. I mean, I think my dad, when he was a kid, you know, he started at five, six, seven years old, you know, so yeah, it's it's, you didn't think about it, you know, yeah. and looking back, it's kind of crazy because I mean, stuff back then was much smaller in size equipment wise, but it was much more dangerous. There was no safety features on anything. You know, you could get your hand stuck in chains, you know, whatever. Nowadays, modern machinery is about like a lawnmower. If you get off the seat, everything stops and you can't really, I mean, I'm not saying you can't get hurt, but it's a lot harder to get hurt nowadays yeah. than it was back then. But Back then, you know, just throw your kids on it and hope for the best. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just a different way of life, I guess. But, but, uh, but that's the way you're saying it. It is that different way of life. You know, I mean, I, I completely agree with you being so many miles away from New York City and, and reaching that point in, in coming up. I wasn't on a farm or nothing like that, but we still had a lot of land. But it was like at that young age, you hopped on the tractor. You gave a hand. You got out there yeah, and did yeah. stuff. Exactly. You didn't think nothing about it. And your parents didn't either. You know, nowadays people act like if they don't know where their child is every waking minute, you know, they're giving seven year old phones so they know where they're at. Back then you'd take <laughs> off on a tractor and leave home and wouldn't come back till evening. They had no idea if you got hurt, dead, 
whatever. <laughs> they just assumed you were going to show up that evening. So, <laughs> but yeah, things have really changed. But no, so that's that's kind of where it all started for me at that age. But uh, when Grandpa retired, you know, he he was by no means a wealthy man. A lot of the machinery we ran as a kid, you know, was very old stuff. I mean, it was it was all but worn out. You know, he wasn't a big spender on money. You know, so. Um, so you had the battle of he's going to have to replace a lot of machinery. He didn't have enough land that a guy could do it full time. And it was just kind of a logistics thing. You know, I didn't live there. It was 30 minutes away. You're going to have to work in town, but yet be there. And so it just wasn't going to work. So the first thing I did when I got out of high school was I went out west and joined a wheat harvest crew. I'm sure you've probably seen that on the Internet before, you know, 10, 12 combines in a field. And you cut wheat from Texas to the Canadian border, you know. So I went and done that. I always wanted to do that. Um, had an awesome time doing that. And Tony, and, for, for people that aren't familiar with that, yes. that's that's a freelance kind of thing, right? I mean, you're, you're not getting hired on by someone. You're, you're just heading out there and you're driving. You're working. You're making it happen or you're part of a company at that time. So, yeah, so I was part of a company. So, and that's changed a lot too. You know, I was 22 years. I graduated high school in 1998, so almost 23 years ago, um, you know, but uh, it was one of them deals that. I got hired on with a crew out there and then yes, they had their same customers that they cut for every year from Texas to we stopped in South Dakota, but um, that's all changed too. Now, back then, you know, guys had three, four combines, whatever. Now it got to the get bigger, get out type deal. So you either got 10 or 12 combines now, or you're not even doing it. You know, everything's just on such a massive scale anymore. So um, yeah, so that was, so I actually worked for a company when I done. That. So, so, yeah, so, so I, Go ahead. Normally when it, it's, I haven't met many farmers in my lifetime, but I have met a handful of farmers and each and every one that I've met, it's tradition. They're third, fourth generation farmers. You're the first one that I think doesn't come from that background. So right. it, it's, I will, it's, I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume the reason those other people that I have met, they've, they've continued farming just because it's part of their family tradition. Exactly. You didn't do that. You did it just because you just got bit by that bug, right? Exactly. Yep. I knew that's what I always wanted to do. And I prayed every night that I could find some way to do that someday. And luckily, that's where I'm at now. So after I come home from wheat harvest, I worked for a chemical supply company here locally, you know, that sprays fields for farmers, spreads fertilizer, that kind of stuff. Worked for them for a while and um, got to doing a lot of work for a bigger farmer in the area, you know, I would spray his crops for him or spread fertilizer or whatever. And he seen that I'd done a good job. And he said, Hey, why don't you come to work for me? You know, and I thought, well, that's don't sound like a bad gig. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like you're working for some big company with a 401k and all these benefits and that, you know, you're just kind of a hired hand on a farm. But I thought, you know, I'm young, single, ain't got nothing to lose. I've always wanted to farm. And this is probably as close as I'm going to get to actually being able to farm. Cause there was just no way that I could go out and start farming on my own. And the I've always said with farming, like, let's say you come from the slums of New York City, but you decide you want to be a doctor. You can dig your heels in and somehow make that happen. You, you can get your schooling right. paid for, work your way through it. You can you can make that happen. But when it comes to farming, you know, so now today we're farming our our line of, of machinery alone is a million dollars just for the machinery to do it. That's not that's before you even get started on land. Right. Land is bringing ten, twelve thousand dollars an acre. Um, you know, and, and you got to farm in my particular area with raising corn and soybeans, you know, you're gonna have to farm at least a thousand acres to, to, to do it as a full-time job, you know, yeah. a so, thousand acres, a thousand acres. 
basically. You can if, if you owned five hundred foot free and clear, you could you could make it on that. But I mean, what twenty year old's going to own five hundred acres free and clear? You know, yeah, no one. So, <laughs> so I've always said farming is one occupation that it don't matter how bad you want it, it is virtually impossible to get into unless somebody is there willing to take you under their wing and help you get started and go that route. You know, so. Um, so after I went to so, work for this so thing, it's, a, it's a lot like the mafia or the drug trade in a way, right? <laughs> exactly. And the only way you get out is when you die. I mean, that's... <laughs> uh, involuntary, but that's right. <laughs> Somebody else's hand, if that's the case. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Dude. So, so nonetheless, I, I worked for this big farmer for four or five years, and he had a neighbor just a mile down the road. And this neighbor is, well, he's 60 years old now, but I've been working for him since February of 08, and he's a bachelor, never been married, no kids, no nothing. And between him and his brother and his mother, they owned 1,000, about 1,100 acres, actually. So it was all family-owned ground. And he, he's got a big uh, firearm business, big gun shop. That was his bread and butter, and he just kind of done the farming because at the end of the day, nobody else in the family wanted to do it. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it over, you know. And then this gun deal come along, and that got really big way bigger than the farm. So he's like, well, piss on that farm and I'd rather sell guns. Right. So he come to me and said, Hey, if you're, you know, serious about wanting to get into farming, he said, you know, I've been watching you work for the neighbor and whatnot. He said, why don't you come to work for me? And when I'm ready to retire, I'll help you get started and you can take it over and, huh. and run my operation. So that's where we're at today. So, so it's, so that's twice already that I've heard that you've never interviewed for a job. They've tapped you on the shoulder. That's correct. Yep. That's, that's huh. correct. Okay. Got it. So for everybody out there listening, hard work, people really do watch. <laughs> people really do watch and they'll tap you on the shoulder for that. So so your parents, it, it, did they have a different um, plan for you, for your future than farming? So so my parents were and uh, this is going to sound probably worse than it was. I mean, coming from a very loving family, you know, parents were married, still married, both still living. You know, I don't want to make this out to like they were bad parents because they wasn't. But they were very hands-off. Like, they wouldn't let you completely fail and go bankrupt and stiff half the community. But if it was a bad idea, they were going to let you learn the hard way that, you know, you maybe you shouldn't have done that, you know. So, like I say, I'm not saying there was a safety net or anything like that either, but they wouldn't just flat it. They didn't get involved in your business. You know, they might think, you know, I wouldn't do that if I were you, but knock yourself out. If you think you can do it, go for it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with dad owning his own construction business his whole life, and that's hard work, you know, building houses. Yeah. And uh, he was always of the mindset by the time he got 40 years old, he said, man, if I had it to do over again, he said, I'd have got a factory job, you know, punched the clock eight to five, had benefits, had a retirement, huh. all that stuff. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily saying be the, the common man out on the assembly line, which not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, try to get in somewhere and maybe work your way up into the company to where, you know, you're making really good money, but yet you've got the benefits to go with it. You know, it's because it's just so hard to do stuff in this life on your own. You know, a, a lot of people forget about it. If you're self-employed, you know, you're still saving for your own retirement and this, that, the other, where you don't have the 401k or something that maybe a company offers. So, well, you know, not, so they, not even just that. I mean, like even the, uh, the entire health insurance aspect of things, though, yeah. too. There's a whole thing that goes yeah. along with that. I, I know, like, up over here. Uh, you, you got your tree cutters, your stump grinders, your people that aren't on the farms. They're out there doing it every day, and they're having to buy into these insurance plans on their own. They get conglomerates put together, but still don't get a rate that's anywhere near close to what your average business winds up getting. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, so that was always their frame of mind. You know, we would rather see you take that path. And, and it was even kind of a double-edged sword for me that they could see the writing on the wall with farm. And it's like, you know, you're going to get your heart broke. You're going to be dead set on doing this and you're going to wake up and be 30 years old, but still nothing. And so now you've lost, you know, potentially 10 years or whatever, you know, when you started working, but you should have been doing something else. You could be farther up in a company now if you would just go to do go and do that right now versus wait until you're 30 and you see that your farming dreams are shattered. But I stuck it out, ground it out, and here we are. So so, so now you have a thriving farm. You have employees? Uh, no. So actually the way we've set this up is – this guy is now finally ready to retire. Kevin's his name. So if I get lost in conversation here and mention the word Kevin, that's who I'm talking about. So I've worked for Kevin since 2008. And in the 2020 crop season, I took a third of his acres and farmed. Okay. So I farmed a third of the ground. He farmed two thirds. Now in 2021, I'm taking another third. So now I will farm two thirds and he will farm a third. Wow. And then after this season, if things work out, you know, and, and he still decides that he's wanting to retire, then I'll finally take the other third next year. So that's how we're doing it. He still owns the machinery. Um, I just rent or lease the machinery from him because once again, you know, even at my age, there is just no way you could buy into his line of machinery. And it's like, what do you do? You know, does he line it up, have an auction? Then I go out and buy a bunch of old stuff and you know, just parts and stuff are just crazy expensive on this stuff. nowadays. That's like, you know, you go buy a line of machinery and half of it wore out junk or, you know, a motor problem that's unforeseen. You know, when you buy it that you can't see when you're going to buy it, motor blows, you know, there's 30, 40 grand right off the top. And it just so he, he told me, you know, he said, just just use mine. We'll work out a, a fair rent for everybody, you know, because he's not going to just shove this stuff across the table. I mean, I don't expect you to, you know. Right. right. So uh, so we're just kind of winging it this way and uh, we're just going to keep pecking away here. And, uh, you know, if we can get a few good years under our belt, I can get kind of a nest egg saved up. Then maybe I can start buying some of the big ticket items. And, you know, with all his stuff, it is depreciating a little bit every year. Not by much. I mean, this farm machinery market's hot. But, you know, for every year that gets run, it does lose a little bit of value, which makes it easier for me to try to purchase, you know. So so that's two things that I heard now that really resonates with me back in, into the HR world. You never interview for a job that you really love. They tap you on the shoulder. And you did something that's really hard for people in the HR world, business world, entrepreneur can do. Get a really good mentor. You found yeah. an amazing mentor to take you under his wing and yeah. not only mentor you and you be a mentee, but hey, when I'm, re I'm ready to retire, go ahead and take this. <laughs> right? Who says yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. And it, it really has. And, you know, and I don't want to say too much, I guess, either out of line. But I mean, he really has treated me like a son as far as, you know, I mean, with him so close to retirement, it, you know, he's out buying machinery now, you know, upgrading and this and that. And he keeps telling me, he's like, what am I doing this for? He's like, I'm retiring. You're farming most of the ground now. But it's in his head that he wants to see me succeed. You know, he says, awesome. you've been here for several years now. And he said, you know, I've never had a retirement for you. He's always paid me a very fair wage. But, you know, we never had any kind of retirement or anything. Mm -hmm. So I think he's looking at it as, you know, hey, you know, what am I going to do with all this shit when I die? You know, no kids, no nobody to leave it to. So it's like, you know. I want to set this guy up to where he does potentially have a future. It's going to be up to him to lose it, you know? So, so yeah, I've been very, and, and then hopefully that. in the future, the same way for you, finding that exactly. other person to take under your wing yeah. and bring up, et cetera. When yeah. you, when you're thinking about the bigger picture of this all, there's, there's some general knowledge that just goes into being a hard worker and finding things out along the way. 
it's a lot more than that. You're dealing with machinery that that isn't uh, Grandpa's old tractor. You're dealing with stuff out there that guys are turning to you on TikTok or watching others on YouTube or anywhere else out there to learn a little bit more about that specific piece of machinery or what else is out there within the plethora of things. Heck, there exactly. was a, a video you put out not too long ago just looking at all the different brochures of the equipment over the years. So this is this is more than just a passion. This is a way of life, and it's also a matter of knowing what you know because that's what's going to keep you in business and keep you safe and, and moving forward and, and effective. So to that, where do you get your general knowledge from that? Just years in the industry, self-research? Um, uh, are there trade shows and stuff like that that you attend as well, or where are you at with all yeah, that? Yeah, there's, there's several trade shows in the farming community. I, I don't go to too many of them it's a lot of us just self-knowledge you know you yeah. just you pick up on it from either the local like we run all john deere equipment so you pick up on it from them or you got a neighbor that's got some new toy or gadget you know on his combine or tractor or whatever and so you know word gets around the community pretty fast so then you kind of start digging into it a little deeper and asking questions and then you kind of analyze it is that something that could fit into our operation and save us money and the average person in America that lives in a city that's never been on a farm would be absolutely blown away if they knew the amount of technology that farmers were using today. I mean, if I get in a tractor or a combine now and I actually have to drive it, I'm not going to do it. I get in, I push a button, it drives itself. I'm there just to monitor the situation, make sure nothing breaks down, all that good stuff. And 20 years ago, I just said, if you're too lazy to drive your own tractor, you shouldn't be farming. Now I'm just the opposite. It's like, I'm not driving <laughs> So, so wait a minute. It's all on GPS. You just hit a button and it turns on yep. its own and does this thing. Yep. Everything is on GPS. Yep. Every bit of wow. it for us. Now that's not mandatory. I mean, there's still guys who do it the old fashioned way, but the vast majority of farmers are doing everything on GPS, auto steer. I mean, just, yeah, it's, it's, it's unreal. The amount of, so I've always used this example. So the computer monitor that runs my planter to plant corn or soybeans, with, that monitor is about $12,000 just for the monitor. That ain't counting nothing else. And when I was a kid, we planted with a 1948 international tractor and a planter that was from the 50s or 60s. You could have bought the entire setup for probably 5000 bucks. Now the monitor alone just to run my planter is 12000 So it's, <laughs> it's crazy. That, that and I don't know if the now you farm corn and soy, right? Anything else? Corn, yep, corn and soybeans. Um, every now and again, we'll throw a little bit of wheat in the mix, but that's. I, like this year, we planted 15 acres of wheat because we got a conservation project. We got to do build a waterway and some stuff. But normally, wheat is never in the mix for us. So, well, with I where don't... you're at right now and everything that's going on in Argentina and across the world and in China, just with some of the recent uh, expansions into uh, uh, adding many, 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 many more acres of land to grow corn coming up in 2021, you're in a real good spot with the soy and corn. And for anyone out there doing their investments and watching the futures, that's right on the fingertips of what this guy's doing every single day out there. Now, you're not farming out there right now. I mean, with the cold weather and everything like that, are you are you doing stuff on the land, or is there other things to keep you occupied a little bit? Uh, yeah, so right now we've been busy moving grain. So we can hold just about our entire crop of corn and soybeans on our farm in grain storage, in grain. So uh, we always hold it, because usually during harvest, that's when the prices are the lowest, because there's just such a glut of it hitting the market that they there's no reason to bid it up because there's so much coming in. So we always try to hold ours till Jan, Feb, March of the next year when prices are better. And that's when we get rid of it. So 
yeah, we've been busy cleaning out bins. Uh, here in probably two weeks, I'll start getting tractors in the shop, start mm-hmm. changing oil, doing maintenance, you know, get things ready to rock and roll. So, for, for, hang on real quick, Rick. For anyone out there listening uh, th- where this might be your first foray into this world right here, there's 2.1 million U.S. farms, of which 97% are family-owned. There's a competitive advantage in understanding local soil conditions and weather patterns at the end of the day. Families pass on this knowledge and expertise from generation to generation or amongst communities. Around 3% are large farms defined as having an income of $1 million or more. Most of the U.S. vegetable and dairy sales come from these large farms. Most farms focus on one commodity. Almost one out of five were started in the last decade, believe it or not. Now, on the subsidies side of the house, the pros to subsidies in this area, subsidies do protect the nation's food supply. Farms are uh, susceptible to pathogens, disease, weather. Subsidies help farmers, weather commodities, price changes. Farmers rely on loans, making their business a bit of a gamble. In the cons on the subsidies side of the house, U.S. farms are in one of the world's most favorable regions. They have the tech advantages of modern business. The top 10% of farms receive 78% of subsidies. Farm subsidies block foreign trade agreements. At the end of the day, when we're talking about business and farm subsidies and 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 the juggle that you got to go through from a business perspective, can you help make sense of all that farm subsidy stuff for the common person that might be listening a little bit? So the subsidies, I remember when I was a kid, it seemed like my grandpa and then people were always going to the farm service agency. So that's your local office. You know, every county has one. And anytime you're going to apply for a subsidy or stuff like that, anytime you plant a crop, you have to go sign it up at the FSA office. And it seemed like they was always in there. Subsidies back then was a humongous deal. And it was it was kind of a bastard jumping through the hoops. And there was just always something you had to go in. for. So today, a lot of that's been streamlined. And the subsidies probably aren't there as much as people think they are, or at least in the corn and soybean world. Now, I don't know if you're talking oranges or grapes or whatever right, you know right, that, right. that's the, out of my league but, and this article here it, it was a little bit more high level just talking about the industry in general right there for you sure, but yes back sure. to you. so so there there is still subsidies in it so uh like with the, when this whole covid deal hit um i forget now last year it went off of basically however many bushels you had setting in your grain bins as of january 1 because the markets really crashed when covid come along because the nation shut down you know yeah so they went back and I forget you got so many cents of bushel for what was set in storage. And the year before that, I think they'd done a blanket like 75 bucks an acre or whatever. But when it comes to subsidies, you know, a lot of people want to shy away from that, especially farmers themselves, because at the end of the day, it truly is a welfare and people don't want to call it that. And they feel guilty for taking it. And a lot of that stuff I don't agree with. I, I wish a lot of them subsidies they would completely do away with. Gotcha. But the bad part is, they once one guy takes it we all have to take it because if you paint houses and you're getting a subsidy from the government and i'm painting houses and i don't take the subsidy who's going to be in business longer you or me so once one guy takes it you're forced to take it or you're not competitive so 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 where i'm firing from with this one tony there there were so many guys out there on the tiktok over the past year here Uh, a lot of farmers out there there was one guy he was showing all his potatoes all his taters and how they were just piled up in the fields, and he had nowhere to send them, nowhere to take them. He 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 stacked his his uh, warehouses and, and and structures and barns full with as much as he could. 
And then past that, the rest of it just got turned back over or, or it was going to rot, you know? So in, in your line of work, where you're at with corn and soy, you're in a different arena with that right now. Things are good. And, and yeah. 2020 was all right. 2021 is going to be looking a little bit better, right? Yes, that's correct. Yep. And I guess that's a benefit we have too. corn and soybeans can keep in storage. Yeah, I'm not going to say indefinitely, but I mean, if you do it right, you can hold on to that kind of stuff for year and a half, two years, where potatoes, tomatoes, stuff like that, that's a pretty short shelf life. So when something like COVID comes along, that can wipe you out in a big hurry because you've yeah. simply lost it. Where some guys that are corn and soybean farmers, if you got deep enough pockets and can ride this thing out, your grain will just set in the bin until prices come back and then you can move forward. But so, you know, some of that vegetable stuff, I do understand where maybe they should be a little more prone to getting subsidies because that that's a pretty a pretty streamlined process with a very tight window from farm to table you know so you know tony you know uh, somebody like me from the outside looking in somebody who doesn't know shit about farming <laughs> only thing i know is that it's 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 like really hard work right um I'm really surprised to hear you say that you wish they would do away with the subsidies because hearing you say that a monitor right now for you to to plan things is twelve thousand dollars, where back then you could run the whole thing for five thousand. I I personally, well, I haven't been paying attention, but I do shop and I do buy corn. I haven't seen the price of corn fluctuate so much in the past thirty years that would justify equipment, multi-million dollar equipment, right? So, it, it, it's you've got to be creative on how to increase your profit margin. So I'm really surprised to hear you say that. With that said, um, how creative do you have to be to really keep up with the process, with, with the profit margin? Because I'm assuming with all the equipment, it just eats away at that margin, right? Right, it does. So the main thing you gotta do is you have to watch your costs. So, so for me, for this year, I figured it up just three days ago, counting the ground that I rent, everything across the board it's going to cost me 561 dollars an acre to plant corn so every acre corn 561 dollars got it so you you have to know your input costs and then on the other side you have to know when you can start selling at a profit you know and to me you will it is mathematically impossible to go broke selling at a profit you will not do it so you know, so like this last fall take, for example, I seen no reason in hell for soybeans to go up. So I started selling beans back in like $8 and 60 cents. I just kept selling into it. And by the time the combine shut off, I was sold out because I just thought there is no way this shit's going to go any higher. I think I got like 1023 for the last beans I've sold today. They're what? 1398, you know, $5 a bushel higher. You know, I, I had, I had no way of knowing that. And COVID just fucked everything up as yeah. far as looking at charts and everything. I mean, it. so it was kind of an unconventional year as far as maybe going off of what your gut tells you or things that you see in the past. But, um, you know, it's one of the things, every bushel I sold was at a profit. I just didn't make as much money. And it uh, looks like go, going into 2021 here, things have finally got healed. And, it, you know, it's going uh, easy to be easier to make money. But uh, that's the main thing. You just – and it's – it's so much better when you can control your grain. You know, if if I harvest corn out of the field and I take it to the local grain elevator, grain terminal, whatever you want to call it, get rid of it, and you can actually store it there. So if I combine that corn in October, but I say, I don't want to sell this till January because I think prices are going higher. So you tell the terminal, I want to store this grain. So they'll huh. store it. But that's 26 cents a bushel right off the top. The minute you say, I want to store it, yeah. boom, 26 cents is gone. So... 
it, so we've always been of the opinion that it's better to have that storage on your farm where I can control it. I don't ever have to stop my combine. You know, if the terminal closes because they're full or it's a weekend or whatever, you're married to them. You're going to work the hours that they're setting. So we've always built lots of on-farm storage. That way we have control of it. We can set on it for however long. You know, we're not getting uh, storage charges racked up on us. And so that that's kind of one of the ways that we try to if, Make money if you our- can own your house, why are you going to rent it? Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. So yep. another quick question for you. So, you know, with with the uh, how big social media has gotten in the past 15, 20 years or so, um, obviously, there's a lot of instant information that people get. So people get that information. It's instantaneous. So that that's when fad diets became big in the past 10 years. With fad diets, I have seen so many of these diets that say no to corn, no to gluten. How has that affected your business with all these paleo diets, all these carb-free diets? I I don't know if corn is carbs or not, sorry. But I know there's a lot of diets out there that do say that you shouldn't eat corn. How has that affected your business? Thus far, it hasn't really affected our business all that much. I mean, you know, sometimes you get this misconception you know, that there is bad publicity, but the vast majority of the corn raised where I'm at is used for animal feed and ethanol. There's very little of that that's actually human consumption, which I guess if you want to say that the cow ate it, then you ate the cow. I mean, however you want to word that, you know. The cow's but, not worried about gluten. <laughs> right, exactly. So so the corn that I'm raising is not ending up in your canned corn that you're buying from Got the it. store. So this is either going in your gas tank or in the steak that's on your plate. So. Yeah, so you... You've been doing this for what? I mean, since you were eight years old, right? So we're talking about 20-something years, uh, right. well, 30-something years. So with that said, um, how did you transition? Because how we, how JC found you is on TikTok, right, JC? That. Yeah, before we head down the social media platform, since we're in core business, I do have one more very important thing I, I really want to get out there and get Tony's comments on. Now, this is coming from agriculture.com. And by this point in the program, we're about 30 minutes in. If you're sticking with this, you know you're doing the right thing with your life. Check this out. In the last 15 years, a new category of products for row crop farmers began gaining attention, biologicals. And now, although the market for this type of input is still developing, biologicals can be summarized as living microorganisms added to the soil. They break down crop residue, they improve soil health, and ramp up nutrient cycles. There's several companies coming to the market with some pretty big claims, and there's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to biologicals at this point. Now, we're talking we're talking chemistry. We're talking mechanics. We're talking hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. We're talking being able to manage the market and project futures at the same time as rolling the dice on that person that comes through and just wants to sell you a new biological to try out or maybe uh maybe something that you're reading about that you want to do so real quick it's it's clear right away that bill nye the science guy ain't got shit on you that's all i'm gonna say because you got to do so many different things all at once right And, and what the hell are biologicals in your world i mean i mean it's it's common sense from what we just read there but in a practical world application it, what are we talking? Is it a, a, something that you got to spray? Is it something you got to be worried about? Is it a chemical? Is it a true biological? Where where are these things in your world, and how does it affect the 
the byproduct at the end when it actually goes to wherever it's going to. Okay, so this year I'm on the fence. I may try some biologicals, and it comes in a couple different forms. Um, some of it you can put on, put on as a dry product, so you just spread it on the ground, and then you'll work it in with tillage. Um, then there's another form that's in a liquid form. So we run on our corn planter what they call starter fertilizer. So there's a great big tank. It's, it's got liquid in it on the front of our planter, and it drops a stream of fertilizer, which it's uh, a blend of 10, 34 O's, so 10 units of nitrogen, 34 units of P, and then zero units of K. And so you can pour them biologicals in there, and that'll put it right in the seed furrow as you're planting along. And yeah, though, so it's basically just living organisms that... And I'll put this in kind of layman's terms. They're going to eat a lot of the bad bacteria in the soil that could hamper corn growth or corn development. Or maybe there's a bacteria that can you know, eat the roots off of your corn. So these biologicals will help eat that bacteria so your corn does not get its root taken off. And it's just all about improving soil health and corn yields and just getting as much as you can out of that one corn plant. So. Without the having to do like the, chemicals or anything like that, it's all biological based. It's all quote unquote natural. Exactly. Just figuring that science stuff out. Exactly. You know, they they tell us that over the years, with all these years of tillage and whatnot, we've lost a lot of that through erosion. You've kind of destroyed different layers of the soil. So you know, they tell us that there's not near the microbes in the soil now that there was three thousand years ago. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. That's 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 the way they're going to sell it to you. So, yeah, it's all about just making your soil healthier for the plant. You know, it's about like when you go buy a bag of potting soil from the local store. You know, it's just this nice, black, lush, loose soil that, you know, your flowers will grow well in versus an old hunk of clay, you know, that's hard and whatnot. So that's what they're getting at with the biology. So let's blend this world for a second here. Let's kind of mush it all together just for one real quick second, because when we're thinking about the actual industry and everything that you've had to learn and grow and go through with the desire and the passion to get to this point, the handshake agreements, working your tail off, making a name for yourself. And we haven't even talked about the, the most popular end of your name yet. We're, all, we're almost there, I promise you, that, that whole social media end of it all. But when, when we think about the future of taking over that next third or bringing other people on board or maybe your your own kids grow up or there's someone down the street that wants to get involved in it. Where are you making those decisions to say, I'm not just going to do this on my own anymore. I will bring someone on at some point, maybe even if it's not right now, or maybe it's been in your past where you've had to make that decision. But is it really just down to handshake agreements and getting to know the person? Or is it, Hey, I, I didn't see you on LinkedIn slash farmers. We can't work together yet. Right. No, most of it, it, it just all comes down to, yeah, just those personal relationships. Um, you know, you can get a pretty good eye for, for people, you know, just around the community. Um, you know, it, it would be no different if my neighbor down the road, who's a farmer and his 18 year old son come to me and said, Hey, things ain't working out between me and dad. Could I get a job? It's like, well, yeah, I'd hire you in a heartbeat because, I've seen you in action. I know you know what you're doing. So there, there's a lot of that goes on. I'm very skeptical of people who have never been around it that want to come learn about it and, and try to actually work in the industry. You know, it'd be different if you showed up for a day and said, hey, show me what you do. I'd be glad to do that. But to, to hire somebody that's never been around it, 
I'm not saying it can't be done. The machinery is so easy to drive nowadays that anybody can do it. But the flip side is it is so big and so expensive. One minor mistake from this guy just costs you 15 grand. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, yeah. I was going to be say, very, it, yeah. it's, it's a balancing act. I was so, going to say, because a Jestel fighter, it, it's pretty much flies itself, but you still need a lot of training and you have a lot of responsibility uh, on your shoulders for you to use it. Not to say it's the same thing, but that's a millions of dollars of equipment, you know, yeah. farming. So, yeah, I, I definitely do get that. So um, are you a family man? If you don't mind me asking, any kids? Yep, I got three kids. Yep, I've been married uh, since 2006. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen my wife on TikTok, Mrs. Growing Corn. She's on there just trolling the piss out of me all the time. So, <laughs> so she's on there too. But yeah, we've been married since uh, 2006. We met in 2005, dated for nine months and got married. Been married ever since. So okay. just, just the one wife that you know of? Yes, just the one wife that I know of. Yep, and some of the kids, only three that I know of. <laughs> so, no, it's so yeah, it's been it's been a good time. Uh, our oldest, our son, is eleven, and then we got a daughter that's eight and a daughter that's three. So, any been, interest in the family business with the kids? Uh, yeah. So my boy, um, well, I just tell you how you got to be careful on who you put in stuff. But he started running tractors, combines, grain carts when he was, I think, seven years old. So. Um, I gave him a crash course one day. You know, we got a pretty good sized tractor and grain cart. And that, he always wanted to run that because, you know, you run it next to the combine going through the field as you're dumping into it. So you never stop. And he always wanted to do that. And he was seven years old. And I thought, well, hell, he can do it. I mean, you know, the worst thing he can do is tear it up, I guess. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. I mean, that's so, a bad thing he can do, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I put him in it one day. And, and he done okay. Well, then he got to kind of lollygagging and, you know, it, it kind of become playtime for him. And he wasn't getting back to the combine fast enough. So I stopped on the end of the field that day and he got out of the tractor. And I said, I tell you what, Scooter, here's the deal. I'm going to turn this goddamn auger on when this combine's full, whether you're under the son of a bitch or not. And if you're not, you're going to get a shovel and you're going to scoop it up from one end of the field to the other. And he ain't missed a lick since that day. I mean, he is Johnny on the spot. <laughs> he does great. So now I've turned you loose in the combine. So, yeah, he's. He's good to go. Hell, I'd trust him with anything. And he's 11 now, so he's good to go. I broke him in right, I guess. <laughs> so, All right, awesome. so so over on TikTok, the, the handle is GrownCorn2020. And one of the ways that uh, I came to know of you, and a lot of other people came to know of you, friends of mine the farm came to know of you, was through your amazing weather reports. But I don't think widespread we're going to see a half inch. I think that's going to be the very most we're going to see anywhere in my area. Your five-day forecast, <clears throat> once we get through tomorrow, we're fucking good to go, man. Smooth sailing. And that's actually that way as far out as I can see right now, but I don't really like to go much over five or seven days because after that, it's all horse shit. It don't mean nothing. So we're going to stick to five days. After tomorrow, it all looks pretty good. So there's your straightforward farming forecast. You remember to keep it right here. If shit hits the fan tomorrow on this weather, I'll let you know. But until then, don't fucking freak out. I don't care what the TV, the radio, anybody says. Don't do a fucking thing till you hear from me. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bro, all I have to say is if I turn on the news in the morning and I hear that forecast, I'm not turning the TV off for the rest of the day. <laughs> that is just awesome. <laughs> I swear to God, I could make a million dollars doing personalized forecasts for people. You would really not believe good. the requests I get. Hey, do a forecast for such and such Minnesota or whatever. It's just crazy. Oh, and brother. now with Weather on the Sevens with Tony Reed.
yeah. <laughs> and it was, it, that was so much fun because I got a green screen in my basement. So, I mean, it, you thought you was watching the Weather Channel. I mean, it had all that shit up behind me. And, and it, I didn't have the monitors like they really got on TV. So as I'm pointing in them videos, I have no fucking clue what I'm pointing at. I just got lucky. <laughs> Well, that's one, that's one of the best parts about it, talking about the weather reports. If we go back to November, you actually wound up getting a feed from one of the local tower cams out there and caught an accident live in play. Hey, fuck sticks. Thanks for tuning in to the Straightforward Farming Weather Forecast. Now, a little bit ago, I was issued a formal apology, so there's no sense in getting shitty with anybody here. It's water under the bridge. We're just going to move on. Just going to do a regular old forecast. It's a fucking beautiful day outside today. God damn, for being November. Hell, it was like 75 fucking degrees. So, I mean, anytime in November we get weather like that, we're going to take it. Just fucking unreal. It's been unseasonably warm. Hell, like 75 degrees. Yeah, that's 20 degrees above average for us around here. So, that's pretty fucking nice. We'll take it. So, we look outside at the Keystone Light Tower Cam. All seems to be well across the Midwest here. Uh, our nice little hometown here. It looks like... Oh, fuck... Must have a woman driver on the loose. Hope everything's okay there. So, yeah, current temps outside. 71 degrees with a feels-like temp of 70. Did you just say the Keystone Light webcam? Or, or, or webcam? Is that what you said? It is. <laughs> so the video's, the video's going, and, and he's giving the weather forecast, and, it, and he's even got the arm motions down. Like, these kids coming out of college can't even do what he's doing. He's bodied to the camera. He's even got, like, it looks like a clicker in his hand. It might be a piece of candy or something else. I don't know. But he's doing his magic. He's doing his thing. And the tower cam comes on, Rick. And here it is. Here it is. It's a beautiful day. The Keystone Tower Cam is looking down on the streets of the local village and community. And at that point, there's a car out of control going through the intersection, crashing plumes of smoke. It's unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, go to his TikTok, check it out. That didn't really happen that way, though, right? You're having you fun. Right? With this Instead, stuff. Yeah. I must be a woman driver. <laughs> We're going to get shit for that. We're going to get shit for that. Bro, look, Tony, how does – I need to know, man. How does how do you – how did you discover that that was your knack? Because I've seen, all, I've seen a lot of your videos, right? And that's how JC found you. He told me about you, so I started looking, and I'm laughing. I'm laughing, and I'm laughing. You have – you had me cracking up talking about your, your socks with holes in them. And I'm like, dude, this cat is insane. How oh. do you how do you how do you go from oh, the socks with holes? Hang on. That's with his wife in there. Okay, so I've been seeing everybody eat everything wrong now. Cupcakes backwards, string cheese, everything. And I gotta admit, I agree with Tanner talk on the Kit Kats. I never break them into pieces. I just take a bite out of it and it is what it is. Same with string cheese, I don't string it off, I just eat it whole. But the question I got for you guys is this. My wife and I have fought about this for years. I say there is no wrong way to wear socks. She says all this stuff here has to be on the bottom and this, that, and the other. And to me, there is no way. It's a tube sock. There is no wrong way to put a tube sock on your foot. And this just drives her batshit crazy. So what do you say? <laughs> I'm mortified that you put that on TikTok. There is no wrong way to oh wear socks. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is. It is so wrong. The gray part belongs on the bottom. It shows you where your heel goes. We have fought about this how many times? In the last Every day years. of our life, and let's not even talk about the holes. Just take them off, brother. 
I mean, your wife has a point, man. I mean, come on, dude. But so I'm laughing my ass off, right? So I'm like, I, I started wondering, how do you go? How does you never see TikTok world, the YouTube world, and the farming world mesh like that? How do you how do you discover it? And, and how do you know that you was going to be so? Because you have a lot of followers. People are following you. And and, and we're going to get into this later on. You got followers from different states that drove to you to come see you. We'll get to that later, but how do you get to that point? I tell you, I've always been kind of a jokester, you know, and on top of that, all of them videos that I posted, that, that's not bullshit. That's really how I wear my socks. I just pull them on and however they come on, they come on. That, that's the God's honest truth. And so my wife just thinks I'm the biggest dumbass in the entire world. I mean, it just drives her insane because I guess I did misspeak on that video. That wasn't a tube sock. That's a crew sock, I guess. Hell, I don't know what you call them. But to me, they're just socks. Yeah, they're just socks. But, yeah. yeah. So I guess when you throw in the fact that I do like to rib people and be funny, and then on top of the stupid shit that I just do naturally on my own, I don't like nothing about it. I guess it all meshes together nice. I don't know. I'll tell you what, man. You know, when when you first start uh, hitting on farm talk, for anyone that's not familiar, once you, once you catch one video and you watch it all the way through, next thing you know, you're going to see tons of others. And in one breath, I'm seeing this girl feeding cows, dancing, doing her thing in Wisconsin. Very fantastic videos. And the next video is this guy basically yelling at me. Hey, fuck sticks. What's going on? Morning, fuckers. Hey, assholes. So how many of you ass clowns are looking for something to do on New Year's Eve? Morning, fuckers. Hey, TikTok. Merry Christmas. Oh. All right, shit sticks. Morning, fuckers. Well, we're in sheep bar today with no mask on. All right, fuck bags. Morning, dick stains. Hey, fuckers. What's hey, douchebags. Hey, you fucking dick lickers. Hey, you fucking penis wrinkles. Hey, you fucking ignorant bastards. All right, you needle-nosed motherfuckers. Here's Tell me you drive a gleaner without actually telling me you drive a gleaner. Hey, shitbags. Hey, you fucking slap nuts. Hey, you ass rangers. Hey, you fuck face. Hello, folks. Hey, you dumb fucks. Hey, you fucking ass clowns. Hey, shitbags. Hey, you fuck face. Hey, you fucking <laughs> shit lickers. Hey, you fuck knuckles. Hey, shit sticks. So after, hey, bags. after about a good 30 minutes of this self-abuse, I flip it one more time, and I'm back to some girl dancing, feeding cows in Wisconsin. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but it was amazing. It took me back to my time in the Marine Corps. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> no, hold on. I need to tell you what happened, right? So JC knows the layout of my house, but Tony, for you. So upstairs, right, I've got a two-floor home upstairs right um i've got a studio where i'm at right now and then i have an office so jc said dude you gotta do some research i'm roger that so i'm doing research and when i do this research i don't have it in my headset right i've got speakers all over my office so about after 20 minutes of watching your videos my wife comes in and she's like what the fuck are you doing what are you doing <laughs> and i'm like it's gonna sound weird i do doing research for the next show and she's like seriously <laughs> Hey, work yeah, hard, play I'm hard. Pretty, work hard, play hard, man. So, Tony, Tony, talk to us. You you, you have a very uh, unique approach to attracting attention. Um, you you are there is no NFL stadium in in the United States that could hold the amount of people that follow you on TikTok. Let's let's just put that out there. And uh, the way that you greet people in the morning is just absolutely amazing. Changing hearts and minds. 
Tell us yeah. a little bit about your perspective of launching the TikTok and, and where you're at today. Is this a character or is this you? So it's, I mean, that, that truthfully is me. Like, it's funny because me and all my close friends around here, we laugh about it. They're like, you you're getting hundreds of thousands of followers for talking the same fucking way we all talk to each other. I mean, every time we see each other, hey, you dumb fuck, and, you know, hope you have a car wreck on the way home, asshole. You know what I mean? It's just shit like Holy that. Shit. We, we don't like nothing about it. You know? I guess oh. apparently the TikTok world had never seen that before. And now they, if I just get on there, if I guarantee you, if we got off this podcast and I went to TikTok and made a video and just explained a tractor and didn't drop one cuss word, you would see 20 comments that said, what, no insult today? Yep. I mean, they're just like they're, yep. they're disappointed. So I've kind of created a monster here that uh, yeah, I got to keep keep going with, I guess. But I mean, it, in a way, no, it's it's not really a character. I mean, that's that's really who I am. I mean, we just that's just the way me and my friends talk to each other. So, so, so contrast to that, do, do most women who farm in Wisconsin dance all the time with their cows? Or... <laughs> Yeah. Now that I don't know, but it, it's starting to look like it because I think every girl that I follow from Wisconsin is dancing with the cows. So <laughs> I, that don't happen in Illinois, but apparently it does in Wisconsin. So the 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 first video that I saw, um, it's uh, the first of many, was the one when you're talking about, I guess, a goat that has some babies, and you're like, "Hey, fussticks, this goat just shitted out a couple of babies." <laughs> I'm just dying laughing, and I'm looking, "Holy shit, that one's dead!" And you're like, "Ah, that's not dead. He just had a." A uh, big old feast. I might put him under a lamp somewhere. <laughs> I'm freaking dying, bro. But, dude, I got to tell you, man, I love 99% of your videos. There is one video that I'm like, it gave me a headache, bro. It just gave me such a big headache. JC, I'm going to play it real quick. Hold on a second. Here we go. Neighbor called this morning. He's taking a half a beef for us to get processed. He said, how you want this thing cut up? I told him to grind the whole fucking thing into hamburger. I don't eat steak or any of that other shit. I'm 40 years old, and I can name on one hand the amount of time I've ever eaten steak in my entire life. The shit takes too long to eat. You fiddle fuck around for 30 minutes trying to cut it into little bite-sized pieces. Just put it on a piece of bread and eat it. Another thing, meat is made you have ketchup put on Not barbecue sauce, not A1, not all that fancy shit. Ketchup. I eat ketchup on beef, pork, and fish. Meat is also supposed to be cooked well done. Not pink inside, not red, not bloody. Well done. Just short of charcoal is the only way to eat meat. <laughs> the only exception to that rule is bacon. I cannot stand crispy, crunchy bacon. It has to be as chewy as bubblegum before I'll eat it. Bottom line is, most people need to get your head out of your ass and cook the meat the right way. Now have a shitty day. <laughs> so, I, so I heard that one, right? And my wife was like, is he, is he serious? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. Now, Tony, tell me, brother, are you being facetious or is that really how you feel? That is the God's honest truth. Uh, there was not one lie in that entire video. I do not eat steak. It's, and it's not because I don't like the taste of it. I just, like I said, I don't want to fiddle fuck around trying to cut this thing up and smear it in this and that. Fuck it. Put it on a piece of bread and eat it. Move on. Because, look, I love to grill and I, I, I have I, I love the art of cooking. I love the culinary arts. Right. So every weekend I put a video of me grilling something. Right. So I have a weird respect. Ricky, for steak. Ricky he's not saying that he's not cooking it. He's cooking the meat. He's just cook- no. he's making sure that he's cooking it. 
He's the guy that farms. He knows what feeds the cows. Okay? He knows what feeds the cows. Cook the friggin' meat. You gotta burn all them impurities out. Dude, you're killing me with that because I love a good charred steak on the outside, but it's gotta be medium on the inside. And then that gave me a headache. I'm like, what? Well done. You can't take a ribeye and cook it to complete charcoal. And then I'm thinking, when I thought I heard it all, you're like, I put ketchup on steak and fish. And I about had a heart attack. What do you mean you put ketchup on steak <laughs> and, yep. and fish? What, yep. why, why? No, and, and then I thought you were done. And then you bring the bacon argument. You want it to be like like chewed but like bubblegum? Why not, Chris? Oh, absolutely. Help me if I pick up a piece of bacon, it cannot stick straight out. When I pick it up, it better just kind of be a globby mess. That's the I've best kind of thing. I've heard anybody say that, much less a farmer. Talk to me, bro. What's your rationale behind that? I, I, don't, I just don't like the crunchy part of the bacon. It's like eating glass. It's like, <laughs> God damn, it's nasty. So I, I like it where you got to chew on it, chew up. It, oh, that's, wow. I don't know. I just think it tastes the best that way. So and then the fish. Why, why ketchup on fish? I, I don't know. Hilarious. <laughs> I guess I thought that was normal, but I guess it's not. I mean, fuck! I have always ate ketchup on fish. I mean, clear back to the time I was a little kid. I just, well, I assumed everybody done that, but I guess that's not normal. Maybe I don't know. I'll tell you what, though: <laughs> I mean, a little bit of ketchup, a little bit of horseradish. You get a little bit of mayonnaise in there. You you just made yourself cocktail sauce, anyways, and that oh, goes yeah. good on seafood. What up, Darden man? Yeah, whatever, dude. It, 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 it's I'm not I'm not big on that, but the steak. Help me understand your rationale with the steak. Why why not medium or medium well? I mean, it, it's I get maybe not rare because that's you know blue steak. I don't like that, right? But then it gets really tough if you cook it all the way. It gets really tough. So 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 why not a medium or medium well? I just when I cut into meat and it looks a little bit pink or red, it just it just turns my stomach. It, I, I don't know. It just, I can't, I can't do that. To me, meat has to be cooked thoroughly. I mean, completely thoroughly here. I, I just, I think it's a psychological thing. Maybe I, I don't know, but, and that wasn't no bullshit. I have probably eaten steak five times in my entire life. And I mean, that's all the way back. Wow. to when I, was old. I just, I just don't eat it. Never do. So which the, the wife intervened on this deal with the neighbor. She ended up calling him. She's like, well, no, I want some steaks. I'm like, well, fuck, grind it in. I don't care. Grind it in the hamburger. I, I really did. I left it at that. I'm like, grind the whole fucking thing up. And then she found out and called him and decided to get some steaks for her, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Mrs. Reed likes uh, uh, like a good steak that's medium, medium well, and charred on the outside. Okay, got it. Okay. Yep. All right. In fact, she's more she's more of a rare person. She'll eat shit. Pretty rare. Oh, Wow. I can't do that. I mean, how do you guys, how do, you guys do dinner? Yeah, I mean, do you get a burnt hamburger and she gets a nice ribeye? I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And, it, and I think I got the, the good end of the deal out of that. I'm like, you're going to eat this fucking nasty steak. I got a nice cheaper. I don't know. So the details of your entire life start to unfold on TikTok. Nearly 200,000 people following you from across the entire globe. You've got, it all started just just on the farm one day and here's this app and you started watching stuff and said, let me post something. How did you, how did you just get started and where did it explode one day with one video where you said, wow, this changed things. I, I'd have to go back and look, but I think the video that really put it on the map for me was one day last summer, we were cleaning out a grain bin. And for those of you that's never seen the inside of a grain bin, it's just a giant tin can 
and you just fill it with grain. And when you get done, there's what they call a sweep altar in it. Now, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about the dangers of getting in grain bins and being trapped, you know, in the flowing grain. And, you know, it, it really yeah. is a major problem. There's several people a year killed doing that. But we had this bin completely cleaned out. It was down to where there was like 600 bushel in it. So as you're cleaning a grain bin out, it's got a big hole in the middle of the floor and an auger. And so it's it's sucking it, the grain down in a cone shape. And once it gets down so far, that grain won't run out anymore because you've got this giant cone inside of a tin can. I hope this makes sense to you guys. It does. So once it gets to that point, you have to open the walk-in door on the bin, and then there's what they call a sweep auger, and it's just an auger that augers all that grain from the outside wall of the bin to the center of the bin, and then it augers it out underneath the floor into your truck or whatever. So it's completely safe with that. There is no way you can possibly get trapped or buried in any grain. You're standing on a metal floor, and the grain is three feet high and you know there's just it's impossible to get hurt doing that and so i posted a video or a, a picture on facebook because my son was in there helping me and this was during the COVID deal and all the sports were canceled or whatever and i said something about um summer sports didn't get canceled for henry this summer he's scooping <laughs> corn or whatever and, and it was just an innocent post and you know there was hell a hundred and some comments on there you know everybody you know hey good for your boy you know teaching him sport ethic and this and that and there's always that one fucking person who has to fuck it up for everybody he has to type this whole fucking paragraph as to how that is so dangerous having your son in a bin and he can get killed and the grain's going to collapse. And so I went to TikTok and I just went off the fucking rails on this bitch. It's like, you know, shut the fuck up if you don't know what you're talking about. You clearly don't. And I mean, it, and it was an honest to God rant. I mean, I was yeah. fucking pissed. And that video took off. And then after that, I got to see everybody kept saying, hey, do more rants, do more rants. I seen they liked it. So, yeah, every time something pissed me off, I just go to TikTok and, you know, you this motherfucking piece of shit. Don't ever buy one of these. You know? <laughs> and it just sucks. <laughs> what, what about that first time that you had a video that went, like, to a million views? Yeah, that's it's very surreal, I think. And I haven't looked for months. I had one that was up to 3.5 million views yeah. or something. and. It was weird. I mean, you could, you really know that they're out in the algorithm because you can look and say that it's got 10,000 views and you'll check your phone 20 minutes later and it's got 80,000 views. And I mean, it, and it's climbing substantially in a big hurry. And it's like, holy shit, this thing's going to go viral. And next thing you know, it does. And it's, it's, it's weird to think that your one little video from my little farm here in nowhere, Illinois is getting all over the u.s and people are just sharing it and running it it's it's crazy to it's think about. friggin nuts i only had one video do that i gotta share with you i gotta be honest like literally only one video where it got 4.1 million views and it's still climbing and i'm blown away by it because everything else like four or five hundred people views etc minimal comments i'm a waste of space i'm just sitting there watching enjoying things but i took a video of a couple guys i knew and they were grilling chicken and they flipped it over that's all it was. 4.1 million <laughs> views later, I'm in this algorithm. Yeah. I have no idea who half the people are, and I'm fine with it. But it's right. it's nothing like the interaction and, and the attention that your line of work and, and, and what you do brings to the table. So much so, if I'm not mistaken, you actually get fan mail. Am I right? I do. Yep, I just opened a bunch yesterday on TikTok. Yeah, we done a video on TikTok, opened it as well. But uh, yeah, on average, I probably get, I don't know, five, six packages a week, you know, T-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, wow. all awesome. kinds, which 
after this whole sock deal, I'm I, I go to the post office <laughs> once a week, and I'm sure next week they are going to be fucking bombarded with socks <laughs> at the post office. I just know it's coming. So. Well, just, you know what? Do a video about how your car's broken down and yeah, how Ferrari exactly. would be nice. Well, you've yeah. had you've had a lot more than just socks and and t-shirts show up on your doorstep. So I have got a fucking story for you guys. If anybody can beat this fucking fan trip, you got to fucking do at this. So this fucker drove for like an hour and fifteen minutes just south of me to come meet me. This fucking doe dick, you all know him, he drove from an hour and a half fucking north of me to come see me. But wait, it gets better, trust me. This fucking gal here drives from western North Dakota to come see me, totally fucking unannounced. Oh, but we're not done yet, as they always say, but wait, there's more. This fucking guy drives from Montana, 27 fucking hours, unannounced, to see me. This fucking guy basically lives an hour from Glacier National Park and drove all the fucking way, unannounced, to show up and see me. I was taking a nap and the local fucking bar called me and said there was people here from three states to fucking meet you. So I went to the bar. So if you can beat this, do it. Okay, dude, Tony, hold up. Let me just tell you my rationale here. Bro. I love it. If I'm taking a nap and I'm not that that good of a friends with the bartender down the street, right? But for first for him to call me and be like, hey Ricky, you got some fans here who want to meet you. They drove from three freaking states. I'm not going there, Tony. I'm not going there. You're like Fuck it. Let me go meet him. And you, and, and in the video, in the video for everybody who's just listening, and it, 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 I'm going to post this later on on YouTube, and you'll see the video. These are real people who drove from different states. They don't know him. They just showed up. They the bar. They just happened to show up at the same bar. I guess there's only one bar there. The bartender called you up, woke you from the nap, and you're like, "Fuck it, I'll go." What? What? Yeah. Talk to me through that. <laughs> yeah. So, come to find out. So, in that video there. Uh, the guy that drove from Montana, the 27 hours, and the girl from North Dakota, he picked her up on the way. So they they come together. <clears throat> and there was a guy in southern Illinois that they had been talking to and uh, thought about going to see him, but you know didn't know if they was going to make it down, kind of a long story deal, whatever. So I had put my P.O. box on TikTok because there were so many people wanting to send me shit. Mm -hmm. So they thought, ah, fuck it. Let's just go to the post office. We'll take a picture by his P.O. box and at least say we was in his town or whatever. So, and this town's only 400 people. So, you know, it ain't like, I mean, everybody knows everybody, literally. <laughs> so the bar is right by the post office. So they went and done that. And they went in the bar and was just sitting there, you know, having a beer or whatever. And somebody local just, you know, seeing that they didn't know him. They're like, so where are you guys from? And they're like, uh, Montana. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing in Strasburg, Illinois from Montana? And so said they was there looking for me. So. One thing led to another, and they called, and uh, yeah, I went up there, and goddamn, we just had an absolute blast. Just wow. good people. Actually, the guy from Montana is coming back this Friday, uh, driving all the way back again. Uh, yeah, just just an all around good guy. I mean, just you couldn't ask for a nicer guy. He's a farmer out there, and we just headed off and just had a blast. But now, Tony, the journey didn't stop there, if I'm not mistaken. Like everyone packed up and drove to yet another bar and another farm. Uh, well, we ended up going across the street. So no, we didn't go to any other bars or nothing. Gotcha. We just went. Now, they, I think they did on the way home. They went to Wisconsin and stopped at a big TikToker up there, uh, their dairy farm. 
But uh, as far as here, no, we just we end up going over to a friend's house, set his shed, drank beer and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, they're they're all coming back this Friday. So I'm sorry, I have to ask Tony, did any thought enter your mind that maybe this is not a good idea? I mean, I don't well, know. What did Mrs. Reed said? When you told Mrs. Reed, hey, I'm going to go meet some fans that drove 27 hours to come meet me unannounced. Have a good one, honey. What did right. she say to that? Or, or maybe so we, you say it a little bit different, right? Uh, there's this young lady at the bar who drove 27 Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No big deal. <laughs> so we, we thought about making a TikTok because this is literally how it goes down. She, she's got this checklist for me when there's a fan that wants to meet me. So do you got your gun? Because I'm a concealed carry holder. So you got to have your gun. And then I got a neighbor over here, a good friend of mine. We've known each other since kindergarten. His name's Nick. Great big guy. I mean, hell, he must be 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, I mean, just an all-around mammoth of a guy. And so he's like, call Nick. He can go with you. <laughs> you know, so she's got this checklist. You know, and then leave your phone, turn the location service on. Case you know. you, that way we can track you. So she thought all this out where I'm just like, ah, fuck it. You know, it'll be all right. Uh, if this no. guy drove that far, he ain't a killer. Brother, it's not that she wants to track you. She wants to find the body for the insurance money. That's all. <laughs> exactly. I hadn't thought of that, but I bet you're right. <laughs> no, good, good job, Mrs. Reed. She's It's safety first, man. Because let me yeah. tell you, I would not have shown up. I'm like, what? Wait, how, bartender, how do you have my phone number? First of all, <laughs> number one. Yep. Now, in Orlando, that doesn't happen. I'm assuming over there, everybody knows each other, right? It, yes. It's, uh, yep. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, in Orlando, that just uh, does not happen at all. But, yeah, I saw that video, and I'm like, that can't be real. That yep. cannot be real. But it was 100% legit. It was 100% legit, and he's coming back this weekend. Uh, I, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. I don't know when this actually hits the airwaves, but there's some things planned that we – we don't want to announce for fear of maybe thousands of people showing up. I got so you. So you, you got to kind of be careful. But uh, yeah, they we'll are coming today. back. So. Yeah. Yeah. So they're coming back this weekend. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. So, JC, I would love to uh, have them on the show because I really want to know who wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to drive almost 30 hours to go meet my TikTok hero. Right? Exactly. And I asked this guy, I'm like, you know, I said, surely you guys, you know, was kind of coming this way anyway. And he's like, no, he's like, it was Christmas break. And he said, I decided in about 20 minutes. Fuck it, I'm going to go to Illinois. And see if I can find you know what? It's, it's you know a what? different ball of wax out there, Rick. When you're thinking about like Montana and, and the Dakotas and whatnot, if I'm not mistaken, I think the speed limit on the highway is like 75, 85, 95 miles an hour anyways in some of these places. You got nothing else to do other than stare at the big sky or drink your beer or whatever because it's cold. You're not even going to be right. out there farming right now. So, hell. Let's go for a drive. Exactly. You know, I knew a guy exactly. in St. Louis who drove up to Chicago frequently just to go attend concerts and drive back the same day just because it was something to do. It's different yep. out there, man. Exactly. That's, and that's why I told this guy. I said, you know, so we're like 20 minutes from the nearest town. You know, it's got like 12,000 people. That's where we do most of our trading. So <laughs> I, I told this guy, I'm like, you know, if my buddy calls me on a Friday night and says, hey, you want to run to town and get a burger? I'm like. And it's 20 minutes away. That's a lot of fucking work. You know, <laughs> this guy drove from fucking Montana. He's like, I'll try to get a beer. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And you know what? I'm a hypocrite because I'm like, nobody would ever do that. But halfway through this conversation, I'm like, you know what, JC? We should go up to the farm and just do a live show from the tractor. Let's see if this Puerto Rican can actually run that track. His kid no. can do it. 
No. Right. I'm going to mess that up. You're not going to mess up a million-dollar piece of machinery. He's not going to let you on it. You can maybe play with the goat's butthole, but you're not going to get on that machine, Ricky. Exactly. Everything is labeled like the stores. You break it, you buy it. That, oh, yeah. No, I ain't going. I ain't going. Good. Hey, gentlemen, I, I do have something special for you both right now. Are you ready for this? Shoot. Ready. This week brought to you in part by Grown Corn 2020. Stop by TikTok if you're not familiar with the app. Go get it. Go, Go check him it. out. You're, you're not going to be remiss on this one. Look, our first current event story for the week is coming to us from WAMC.org. Tony, what we do, we're going to read the current event story and then pitch it over to you and Ricky. You guys dissect it, talk about it back and forth. Once you're done, we're going to move on to the next one. It'll be a real quick kind of thing right here. So from WAMC.org, Farm Labor Wage Board pauses action on overtime threshold. As it stands right now, the New York Department of Labor's Farm Wage Board held three meetings in late December to determine if the overtime threshold for farm workers should be lowered. Their decision was to wait at least a year as issued... Uh, from New Year's Eve. Now, New York's Farm Workers Labor Law of 2019 became effective January 1st, 2020, includes requirements to provide at least one day off per week, unemployment insurance coverage, paid family medical leave, and the right to organize. The agriculture industry was also allowed to keep an exemption, allowing 60 hours of work before overtime is paid. Now, the new law requires a wage board to determine if and when that overtime threshold could be lowered to 40 hours per week. And in a series of virtual meetings at the end of December, the three board members offered their final deliberations. Board member David Fisher, the president of the New York Farm Bureau, warned that a rapid change could negatively impact the industry. Ultimately, the former president of the New York State AFL-CIO, Dennis Hughes, countered that, stating that the ag industry has long held exemptions to state labor laws. During their third December meeting, the board members met to vote on their final recommendation for reducing the overtime threshold. And the resolution passed two to one with Hughes voting against it. The resolution does include a recommendation that the board be reconvened at the end of 2021 to reconsider the overtime threshold again. Gentlemen, over to you. So from an HR perspective, from an employee perspective, I can see how farmers, employees of farmers, would love that, but I don't think business owners, farm owners, will like that news. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, I mean, once again, this comes back to maybe your mega dairy operations, you know, milking three, four, five thousand cows. I guess, you know, when you've got, I don't know how many employees that would take to run that, a hundred, you know, I have no idea. I mean, I guess I can see where maybe they feel like they're getting shorted a little bit, but I'm of the opinion that you surely knew that when you took the job, you was going to be working more than 40 hours a week. It's fucking dairy for Christ's sake. So, right. I mean, I, I, I don't like the government telling me what to do. You know, if, I've always said if they can set a minimum wage, why can't they set a maximum wage? You know, Ooh. I mean, that's just my thinking. Not saying okay. it's right, but yeah. I, they tend to fuck everything up that they touch. So <laughs> I'm just curious to see how this goes down. I, I wouldn't be for it if it was me, but that's just me. So it's I'm with you there 100 percent, you know, just just let the individual businesses do what they do right now. I would understand why those laws would have been beneficial 30, 40 years ago. But now people are more evolved, more educated. You know, if they feel mistreated in this organization, leave. 
right. <laughs> just exactly. go somewhere I mean, else. When you how many layers? Them. How many layers do you want? You know, I've always said it like unions back, and I have no problem with unions. That you know, whatever to each their own on that. But mm-hmm. you know, a union was really something in the forties and fifties because workers were getting treated like absolute dog shit. But now you've got OSHA, you've got EPA, you've got you know, you've got so many layers on there, and then on top of your union that's protecting you, it's like you know, how much protection do you need at some point? <laughs> it, it gets redundant, you know. I mean, hey, I, I a thousand know. percent at, correct. At the end of the day, wrap it twice. Yeah. <laughs> Your next story is coming to us from NBC29.com, Augusta County, Virginia. Food and farm workers will be among the 49 million frontline workers next in line to get the COVID-19 vaccine in the state of Virginia. The governor announced this week that phase 1B is expected to begin at the end of January. The Virginia Farm Bureau Federation requested that they get the vaccine sooner to avoid shortages of food in grocery stores. You have to have the farmers producing food and you got to have the folks in the plants processing the food. So ultimately, that food is there on the grocery store shelves when the consumer goes to buy it. According to Bradley Dunsmore, president of the Augusta County Farm Bureau Federation, access to health care has been a long challenge for rural Virginians. Farmers tend to be individually self-employed, so they're not able to get group coverage. Group coverage is a whole lot more than the individual coverage is uh, sometimes all the way around. So the Farm Bureau has advocated for a group plan led by an organization where members could get that group plan price, even if they don't work for the same business. Now, up to this point, we've had some success with that in some states across the U.S., Virginia has not been one of those states, and that would be a tremendous help to farmers and other self-employed people if you let them group under an organization like the Farm Bureau, said Dunsmore. Uh, Lastly, here, as vaccine distribution becomes more widespread, Dunsmore states it's critical to get things open back up in the safest, quickest way possible to help the food supply. Over to you. Wow. Okay, so... They're treating, okay, so it's almost as if farmers are essential workers. I'm not saying they're not or they are, but I like the line that they're attaching to it. So that brings me to this question for Tony, and then, Tony, it's you put in what you want. Um, There's a lot. I know what you farm doesn't come on our tables. They go to cars and all these other things, right? But you have a better way to answer this next question than I will, right? When you're talking about restaurants that are farm to table that cuts a lot of the middle stuff right so how do you feel about farm to table establishments instead of farm to grocery stores to then table and the reason i'm asking that right is because if you're farm to table that cuts away what jc the story jc just talked about right then you don't need all those immediate covid um, uh, vaccines for these folks who are going to process it so what are your thoughts on that I'm all about farm to table. I mean, you know, the industry that I'm in particularly, that'll never be a reality because yeah. our products don't go to a table. But as far as the guys that raise crops that do go to the table, I think it's a genius idea. Why have 19 middlemen, you know, sticking their hands in your profits at every step of the way? I mean, if you can get hooked up and, you know, Mr. Restaurant owner, wherever, and say, hey, I'll raise <clears throat> lettuce, tomatoes, whatever you need, and you can deliver that straight to him, I think it's a great idea. Okay, so you're telling me that would be a great idea. Awesome. Because I actually didn't know how that cuts in the profit because you have a profit margin for these big chains. 
I'm assuming you have to have a different price point for farm to table. And then you have to figure out how much farm to table relationship you have to have to actually make that profit for you to sustain a living. So then you got COVID-19 that comes in and says, you got to take this, you got to take that. So I'm assuming that disrupts the, the supply chain to the big, to the big grocery chains, but it wouldn't for farm to table. Right. Exactly. And, you know, to some degree too, I, and I hope this makes sense. And we'll just, we'll use Walmart as an example. I'm not throwing them under the bus, but uh, you know, it takes, I've heard a lot of different people that, that sell stuff to Walmart. You know, they almost act like Walmart is such a big powerhouse and they beat you down so bad on price that you're not hardly making any money by doing business with them to where maybe if you can get an independent farmer and an independent restaurant owner hooked up, prices can be better for everybody and everybody make money along the way. And you can maybe get rid of some of these hoops and hurdles in between you because there's not that many people handling it, storage and different transportation methods and, and whatnot, you know, with all this red tape going through it and and I, I don't know i think covid has really opened some people's eyes on the way they're going to start doing business from here forward yeah. um i think it's maybe revealed a lot of waste in the past you know that we didn't really think nothing about you just kind of well, that's the way it's always been done so you kept doing it where once you were forced to do it a different way it's kind of like well heck we should have been doing this a long time ago Your next story right here is coming to us from agweb.com. Climbing corn prices is a welcome sign for farmers normally, but not good news for ethanol plants that are already strained. Higher corn prices combined with the lingering effects of COVID-19, the pandemic impact on gasoline consumption is a lethal combination that's forcing the oldest ethanol plant in the country to stop producing ethanol indefinitely. In a letter to its farmers' suppliers, Ingredient informed its suppliers the company has decided to cease ethanol production at its Cedar Rapids plant. The company cited profitability and weak demand as the driving factors behind the decision. This company went on to say ethanol is not core to its growth strategy or key markets, and the plant will continue to manufacture corn-based products in the areas of starch, germs, and proteins. As corn prices near $5, Margins show that it's not getting any easier for ethanol plants to produce a profitable product. Deteriorating margins have played out in ethanol plants for months, heavily weighing on ethanol plants' margins all the way till today. Uh, Renewable Fuel Association says while most are still operating at near full capacity, some are reducing capacity while others are making the difficult decision to close altogether. This is coming to us from agweb.com. So, Tony, please forgive my ignorance here, but is there any other industry other than the automotive industry where ethanol is necessary? Uh, no. I, well, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe in some forms of diesel fuel, okay. you know, but no, I mean, that, that's going to be the vast, vast majority is going to be the, the okay. auto industry. You know, I don't think they do any kind of ethanol with aviation or anything, to my knowledge. I mean, I, I'm sure they don't, but I would have to clarify that. So, so with the with the rise in popularity, like uh, automotive dealers, like well, automotive makers like Tesla, right, who are just a hundred percent electric, right? Does that worry you about where your industry is going to be in the next twenty, thirty years? It does, and I'm glad you asked that because I, truthfully, as a corn farmer, am on pins and needles. I mean, we've seen how fast Tesla has grown in the last couple of years, and that's not going to slow down anytime soon. 
Yeah. I don't think. I mean, in fact, I think it's going to grow exponentially as far as electric vehicles go. So you're really eating into the ethanol market right there. And another caveat in there is this, and I, forgive me for being politically incorrect, but the fake meat. I mean, you guys have surely seen that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. meat grown in labs. And, you know, you go knocking a bunch of livestock offline on top of all this mm-hmm. ethanol. Now we got a fucking problem. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's scary. I mean, and the things happen so fast nowadays. You know, it used to be when something like this would come along, you know, you kind of had 20, 30 years to get prepared for it, and the industry kind of gets acclimated. And, you know, it's not much of a hiccup along the way. Everybody kind of gets kind of gets in a different flow. But this stuff nowadays, it just happens so fast. I mean, it, it's yeah. scary. And, I mean, it, it does. It's got me on pins and needles. I don't, I don't know what else we're going to do as far as crops are. We just consume so much for animal feed and fuel, but it's not even funny. So, wow. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> We're going to segue that directly into the next article right here. Coming close to the end of the current events segment. This is out of uh, mcall.com. Rochester, 10 years of planning, 10 years of one ads and hope and worry ended in one day in October when Don Kreshman realized it wasn't going to work. No one was going to step in. It was going to be his last harvest at the Kreshman family organic farm. By spring, the Beaver County farm will be idled for the first time since he first turned soil there in spring of 1979. Kretschmann's retiring after failing to find someone to take over his 80-acre operation in the state of Pennsylvania. I just thought somebody would come, said the 71-year-old self-taught farmer. Nothing worked out there unless some miracle ultimately winds up happening. The inability... To find a successor vastly shocked him, surprised him. He was offering a turnkey operation, an opportunity for an entrepreneurial farmer to simply start growing and harvesting by leasing the land. Access to land is the biggest barrier for many beginners, just like Tony was talking about at the start of the show, along with the cost of the equipment, which Kretschmann also offered for lease along with his house. His only requirement is that the land be farmed organically. We ran lots of ads in an agricultural publication, he said. Maine, New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, Minnesota, Iowa, California. We went all over. Clearly, he didn't advertise in your neck of the woods. Know what I'm saying? (laughs) Let's get this word spread out here. So a woman from Santa Fe was interested, but wasn't suited to the rigors of farm work. Uh, A neighbor of Kretschmann's expressed interest, but later backed out. And the guy from Ithaca, New York, sounded promising, toured the farm in downtown Pittsburgh, but later said he didn't want to leave his extended family. A couple of times he was so close to moving on with this. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it's not panning out. It's very sad. It's such an important farm. And he's been a mentor to many other farmers in the area. He is ultimately, at this point, closing up shop without someone to take over. This is uh, news to you from mcall.com, Pennsylvania. So that's what I was saying earlier in the show. Um, it, it's uh, for for you to find somebody that will take you under their wing. It's it really is something else for you to find somebody. I don't think I've ever been, I've ever, I've ever thought I would see a situation where somebody who's looking for a mentee would say, yeah. "I can't find anybody." Now, here's the thing, right? I based on that story, based on that story alone, it kind of tells me about the work ethic that we're starting to see now, right? Because people are saying no because they don't want to work hard. Right. right. So it, it, it's what if if that person was here right now, Tony, what advice would you give them on how to find somebody to really take over that business, take over that venture? I mean, 
that story sounds a little weird. I mean, in central Illinois, you would never in a million years ever find a piece of land that sets idle because you couldn't find somebody to farm it. In fact, it's quite the opposite ground that you're trying to farm. You got other neighbors beating on the door telling the landlord, hey, I'll give you more than he is, mm. you know, and taking ground from each other. Yeah. But I think that guy's number one problem is it's such a niche specialized market being inorganic. And that's a totally different animal from the way I farm. And I'm not knocking organic farmers or the way that they do things. But that's something that, A, it's it's a lot harder work because, you know, I plant my crop, it gets sprayed, you go back and harvest it, and that's really all you're going to do to it. Where organic, I mean, you're constantly going over the field to get rid of weeds because you didn't have chemicals mm. to do that for you. And everything has to be very well documented, very well segregated. I mean, it, it's it's a whole process, and there's virtually no organic in this area. I mean, it, it has become more popular in this area, but it, it's a very niche market, and it's not for everybody. So if anything, that's probably what's hanging that guy up more than anything is there. you know, there may be plenty of farms in his area, but there's enough of them that say, well, I'm not going to mess with organic. because, And it's the same way. You've got to have a whole separate set of machinery almost you know say say that guy was right next to me and he had 80 acres of organic where i'm not organic i mean they are sticklers on that stuff i mean you cannot have any of that grain co-mingled because they do tests okay. and if anything shows up in that non or that yeah the non-gmo organic grain like that then they kick it out so now you've got all this expense in this bushel that you were going to sell for organic for a very good price and now you just got to sell it as regular corn or whatever so let me ask you this. I saw a video, just just a little bit off topic. I saw a video of yours where you said, "There's the weatherman got it right this time, and there's a lot of ice on here." I woke up at 9 a.m. and I came out here. I'm like, "Ah, I'm not doing this," and then went back inside. And I paused. I'm like, "Wait a minute." Every farmer that I've met, which is very few, they wake up like at 3:34 in the morning. It's isn't 9 a.m. their lunchtime, dude. I mean, what what was that about? So, so that that one there, that was after a pretty hard night of drinking and being out. <laughs> so I legitimately did get up at nine. I remember if it was a Saturday or a Sunday morning when yeah. I posted that, nonetheless. But but no, actually nowadays, uh, a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but grain farming actually is a a pretty easy profession. Now, if you throw in dairy or cattle or hogs or whatever, totally different animal. You know that stuff. I mean, no pun intended. I mean, that's a totally different line of business. You know, yeah. you have to be, you know, milking cows. You don't milk them at four o'clock this morning. Be like, ah, fuck it. I'm gonna wait till six o'clock tomorrow morning. It don't work that way. You milk them at four o'clock every fucking day and you cannot be late. Where on, on a grain farm? No. I mean, truthfully, nowadays driving the machinery is actually the easy part. It's the paperwork and all the bullshit red tape. That's the hard part, you know? So, so, so no, I mean, uh, the average day I get up at six thirty. And, you know, and especially this time of year, I mean, I mean, hell, I'm not by any means working my ass off, you know, just kind of tinkering around, whatever, you know, three thirty, four o'clock, you're done. Now you get into planning or harvest. Yeah, they may be 16, 18 hour days, but, you know, the rest of the year, I, that's and people's going to part ways with me here. But it's not that fucking hard. People, they just make it sound like you're just busting your balls from sunup to sundown. And that's not the case. I mean, you, you're sitting in an ice comfy tractor with air conditioning. You're not even steering it, for God's sakes. <laughs> you know, so, okay, now wait for for somebody who really truly doesn't know why why if you milk a cow at 9 a.m how is that different than milking a cow at 4 a.m i mean how, how 
What's the difference? Ricky, it's, 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 no, it's no different than when your wife spends time with you at the same time every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so actually, each dairy farmer could be different. I mean, you know, dairy farmer over here to my right, he might be milking cows at four in the morning. The dairy farmer over on my left, he might be milking them at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, so it's, it's to each his own on that. But you, whatever rotation you're on, you have to stay in that rotation because those cows are used to being milked every 12 hours or whatever. And that literally throws their cycle off and then it just damages the milk production. And, it, you know, it, everything in farming now is a science. I mean, they have dialed shit in so tight with animals. And I mean, it, the, the average person would just shit twice and die if they knew how much of a science this stuff was down. It's crazy. So, so with your theory right there, in that in that same vein and in that same thought process, I was joking around, Ricky, about it being every day for you. So, if Ricky's used to it every like two and a half weeks, yeah. it's got to stay on that cycle, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know how to act when the cycle gets thrown off. See, animals are the same way. Yeah. I just didn't know there was a, it's it makes sense, right? It, it it messes up the production cycle. So I just didn't know if the cow's like, uh-uh, you're late, right? So whatever, come back in 12 hours then, and that's it. And the cow right. starts unionizing and shit. Right. Oh, okay. So, so most guys have figured out, you know, some guys milk cows three times a day now. You know, all of us guys growing up, you milk twice a day. Now guys are getting it three times a day. Some guys are milking 24 hours a day. But it's all. Or gals. You know, what's that? Or gals. Right. Yes, exactly. Or gals. Yes, I, I guess I, yeah, I got to be careful. But nonetheless, yeah, they've they've dialed everything into such a science and the way animals work. And you're trying to maximize production as much as you possibly can. So if you're normally milking cows at 12 hours and now you jump out to 16 hours, well, you got four hours worth of milk there that you didn't get out of that cow. So now does that make sense? You know, it's just like you're. Oh, it does. Yeah. You, so. Okay. Got it. Your last current event article before we head into our last segment of the program here. This one's really weird, and it's true. Scientists have performed quantum teleportation with high accuracy across 44 kilometers. Believe it or not, teleportation is the stuff of science fiction, but scientists are working on teleportation in the real world. Now, they're not teleporting people or products. They're teleporting and working on quantum teleportation to lead to a creation of a highly secure, extremely fast quantum internet. And as part of that research, the team has been able to teleport high-fidelity quantum information over a total of 27 miles, a.k.a. 44 kilometers. When the information arrived at the other end of the system, it was received with a 90% accuracy rate. Scientists note that data fidelity and transfer distance are crucial to building a real-world quantum Internet. It's perceived and thought that at this time, we could see this pan out in the next couple years. The technology would essentially allow both dice to add up to number seven at the end of the day, no matter what you do. How far apart they are, you roll those dice, you're going to get the number seven on the same end of the spectrum. According... To our news article here on SlashGear.com. Gentlemen, teleportation, a new internet, a new way of things. It's 2021. Over to you. It, to me, it sounds like a really fancy way of saying high-speed internet. I mean, you're just sending information, right? 
It's right. not like Jeff Goldblum is going in there with a fly and then he comes out murdering people and throwing up on coffee, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. So that's what it sounds like to me, right, Tony? Right. I mean, right. Yeah, I would agree. But there's like, there's like no fiber. There, there, there's nothing in between them. There's, so there's wireless like, internet. Let's, let's call it wireless, wireless. internet. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. <laughs> whoever wrote that article. Yeah, it's just giant fucking Wi-Fi. <laughs> It's time for Florida Man Stories. Florida Man Stories to get things wrapped up here on the program today. Florida Man has been accused of stealing Nancy Pelosi's lectern in charged in the uh, Capitol Hill uh, peaceful protest. A man identified as a person photographed grinning as he carried away House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's lectern, or a.k.a. the lectern that she's currently using, after a mob... Uh, Storm the Capitol, according to KTLA.com. So ultimately, at the end of the day, he was charged Saturday with one count of knowingly entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds without lawful authority, one count of theft of government property, and one count of violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. Uh, FYI, they were uh, also asked to enter the building politely by D.C. Capitol Police. Over to you. I don't, dude. Your 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 Florida man stories quality is starting to drop. Oh, just right? wait for the next one. You've got to bring something that's unique to Florida, right? So it's almost like it, what happened on Wednesday. It's like the entire country was Florida, right? Do it unique to Florida. Find something from Florida. So now, with that said, with this guy right here. I know a lot of news articles, a lot of news outlets are, are reporting their identities. They're starting to lose their jobs. And what I say from an HR perspective, whatever you do on your own time is none of our business until you make it our business. And now we have to get involved. And that's exactly what's happening, especially that one guy who started looting and he still has his, his employee badge and they were able to identify him. And he's all mad because he got fired. I'm like, what do you expect? You need to hide your badge. If you're going to do shit like that, hide your badge. We'll never get involved. Exactly. You who you are? Now we got to fire you, buddy. So, yep. so it, what it, a shit show. <laughs> your last story of the day. This is coming to us from Brevard County in Florida. A Florida man rode his airboat through the streets of his neighborhood on New Year's Eve and threatened to kill deputies as they were taking him into custody, according to the Brevard County Sheriff's Office. Deputies said that they were called to (laughs) Mimosa Avenue around 11.30 p.m. Thursday and saw a man later identified as, uh, we'll just call him Joe, 40 years old, riding his airboat in the streets before pulling into someone's yard. A public information officer... Uh, said that the gentleman knocked over trash cans and was shooting off fireworks while driving the airboat. As deputies were on the scene, they said the gentleman turned the airboat on and started to rev the engine to cause a disturbance and mock the law enforcement. Joe was then placed under arrest and began making threats when the deputies also tried to take his father into custody, telling them, I will kill you if you hurt him. Joe is facing charges of disorderly conduct and making threats to a law enforcement officer. Those are the only charges. There are no charges regarding shooting off fireworks from an airboat that you're driving around in the streets of Florida because that part is apparently normal. Over to you. So this is in Brevard County, right, JC? That's correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
Is that not the county where the face of the franchise lives? It is, actually. The guy on have the cover heard? art, our cover yeah, art model. Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't so, heard from him in a while. That sounds like something he would definitely do. We need to check up on him. I, I, It's been a week since I talked to him. We need to check up on him. That sounds like something he would do. He's been radio silent. Yeah, yeah. Characteristically. Yeah. So, shit, we, we got to check up on the guy. See, that's... Tony, that's a Florida man story, right? Yeah, it is. Just it an is. airboat ride down an avenue called Mimosa. Come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, just when you think these stories couldn't get any crazier, a fucking guy drives an airboat down the street. If I was that guy, I would have been like, if you ain't want me to do it, don't name a street Mimosa. By the yeah. way, name is something other than Mimosa. Just bottle rockets in both hands going to town, you know? <laughs> Aiming them at his friends. Uh, any, anything like that in your neck of the woods, Tony? Any any no, crazy it, stories it, like that go down? Nope, it's pretty quiet around here. It's usually just some redneck gets a DUI is about it. <laughs> you know, in I'm a car. Florida, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Florida. We'll show you a good time. <laughs> yeah. All right, gentlemen, we're at that time of the show. Let's uh, turn it over to the both of you for some final thoughts on the day. Mr. Baez, over to you. Look, it's uh, Tony. I cannot thank you enough for agreeing to come on a show called HR Talk. I'm pretty sure you were like, "What HR Talk? <laughs> yeah, How do I, I was, know about HR?" <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I'm no. glad you guys had me. I've had a blast. I mean, it's I always love coming on stuff like this. So yeah, it was great. It it really has been a good time getting to know you, getting to know your story, how you. Because uh, I don't think we've ever had JC anybody on the show talking about farming. And their love for farming and being so genuine about what they do for a living and then broadcasting that on uh, different social media platforms. So um, I just want to say thank you very much, Tony. And for anybody else listening, my final thoughts is, look, um, times are changing. We are in 2021. And if this story about somebody's love for what they do, even if they don't come from a family of it, they still made it their career. So you still can do that. Like I said earlier in the show, he loved it so much to the point that he worked so hard at it because he had that passion other people noticed and he never had to interview for a position. Other people noticed and he made that a passion. You can still do that for anything you want to do, but the passion has to be there for you to never to apply for that job. Yep, I would agree wholeheartedly. And like I say, in, in my humble opinion, I think farming is one of the hardest industries to get into from scratch. I mean, it really is. There, there's no schooling you can go to that just says, well, you're a farmer today. Here's your diploma. You know, it, it doesn't work that way to where a lot of other industries do. And it just takes so much money and so much capital. But I'm, I'm with you. Knuckle down. If, the, if there's something you want to do, if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. I'm firmly convinced. Absolutely. Gentlemen, I'm going to take this opportunity during my final thoughts to forego them, actually, because there's a segment of the program we forgot to do, and that's Inspirational Quotes by Ricky Baez. Quotes let you see life from another perspective. They can expand the mind and awareness. These are Inspirational Quotes. It's Ricky Baez. You're going to hate me, Tony. Okay. People should never disrespect a really well-marbled ribeye. With ketchup, A1 sauce, or well done. Done. I should have saved my final. I should have actually used my final thoughts. Boogie, you were stirring the pot right here at the end of the show. 
Like we're about to wrap up the program and now you're going to start a war. Dude, whatever, man. I'm not I'm not going to do that to a ribeye steak. Are you kidding me? I respect the steak. I'm not saying Tony doesn't do that. I'm just saying I about had an aneurysm. Yep, I said it. Yeah, that garnered a lot of attention on there. Hell, it was up to like 600 and some comments the last time I looked. I mean, it, it pissed people off, man. It's going to keep going. It's going to keep going. Mr. Reed, what are some of the best ways people can find you, sir? Uh, you can go to TikTok, Growing Corn 2020. Uh, I have a an Instagram page with the same name, Growing Corn 2020. And also go to YouTube and just type in Growing Corn. Leave the 2020 off of it. Growing Corn mm-hmm. on YouTube. And that, I will throw out for the record that YouTube is actually more educational, um, not so much rough language on there. Try to do it a little more serious than the TikTok. So if you want to learn more about my operation or see where we're at or kind of the machinery we run, go to YouTube and type in your phone. Call. Good to go. If you want to laugh your ass off, go to TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm going to be looking forward to future weather reports from this side of the uh, this side of the camera over here. Mr. Bias, best ways people can find you, sir. And this program. HR Talk at Biasco.com. We are all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Tiki Taki, where there as well. Find us. And wherever you download your podcast, give us a like. Let us know what you think. It is like a joke to say that we're on TikTok when you got someone of this stature on the program at the same time, right? You've got like two videos up and they suck, you know? So here's here's to make it some more content. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of Growing Corn 2020, Tony Reed, Ricky Baez, uh, Ricky's little puppy who also actually helps him out with the program, Pupcake. Let's, uh, oh, oh, Honey Poo. Honey Poo. Honey Honey Pie. Whatever the fucking dog's name is. On behalf of all them, look. Look, I'm a little flabbergasted right now, and here's why. I, I I am gonna I'm gonna take this opportunity to do it, Rick. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I gotta I gotta throw my final thought in there. Last week we promoted associate producer Rob to producer, and he was doing a fantastic job in finding news articles and making magic happen. Well, I I received just minutes before we went live today the resignation of producer Rob. He's walking away from the program. Uh, he said that you, Ricky, promoted him to customer and listener and that he will no longer be part of the program that really threw things off today. So with that being said, on behalf of just myself and Tony Reed, because Ricky doesn't give a shit about the program anymore, thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure. Maybe HR Talk 2021 will be me and Tony in the future. Freaking Ricky uh-huh. screwing it all up. Drive safe. Have a good night. I actually might try fish with ketchup.